0: Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Hi, I'm Dr. Lolly and you're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You. I'm an entrepreneur and a lecturer in UCD's Innovation Academy and I teach entrepreneurship, innovation and creativity. And I believe that entrepreneurs are both born and made. In this series, we won't be talking to the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons of this world. We'll be talking to people just like you. Welcome to An Entrepreneur Like You with me, Dr. Lolly. And today, my guest is the amazing Liz Gleason. Hi, Liz. Hi, Lolly. Lovely to be here. (laughs) I'm sorry about bringing you into the studio on a (laughs) storm. Are you okay?
1: It's calm enough out there for now.
0: (laughs) Well, Storm's actually not a bad place for us to start, I suppose, because uh, I want to tell the listeners a little bit about you. But Liz is in the sort of, I suppose, what we would call the death industry, which sounds very morbid. And how how do you talk about the industry that you're in? What phrase do you give it?
1: Ah. Humanity, <laughs> Oh, <we are> beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah.
0: yeah, the humanity industry of, of, of how we are resilient and how we survive the the different peaks and troughs and changes that we go through in life. And so some of that is times are stormy and some of those are sunshine storms, she says, linking it in. <laughs> but first of all, before we get into the depths with it all, um, I want to sort of just ask you a few questions about how you came to be in the position that you're in, because I first came across you or became aware of you through the... The Innovation Academy, of course, where I work. But of course, what did you do before you came into the Innovation Academy?
1: now uh, you want my long-sorted history? I do want <laughs> the long-sorted history. <laughs> well. I, it's funny. I stumbled, I stumbled into my career, really. You know, I, I started off studying science in UCD and went on to do some languages, traveled the world a little, was allergic to the idea of, you know, a contract and a full-time job. I hear you. But I ended up with a full-time job in a finance company, um, online payments and, I was I actually had a great job. I was marketing manager, event manager and I traveled the world. So it I was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, but I remember, you know, I was always traveling. I, I bought a house in my 20s and it, on paper it was everything, but on a soul level, you yeah. say a soul level, I was like, "Oh my god, is my purpose in life to line someone else's pockets?" And you know, even in my 20s, I just knew yeah. There has to be more than this. And I remember putting on a, an event in Lima, in Peru. And as do, <laughs> Even like, that <laughs> sentence sounds phenomenal. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Cusco. And, you know, yeah. um, I had some 11-year-old kid was my guide and we were on horseback and we went up to Machu Picchu and I was sitting up at the top. And I remember wow. being so aware of I'm here, but I'm not here. Yeah, It was like... I'm here, my body's here, I, I'm i telling myself I'm here. But it was like this sense of I'm not in myself. I'm not landed yes. in yeah. myself or in the world. And um, I left my job shortly after that.
0: <laughs> so, um,
1: I mean, is... <sighs> First of all, like
0: there's all this pressure that we we say society puts on us, but of course we put it on ourselves to to reach certain markers at certain points. So by 30 or 35 or 40, I should have all of this. I should have a house. I should have had a family. I should have uh, a, a, a career. You know, I should be certain things. And so when you fall between the cracks of that, or you have that and it's not ticking the boxes, I think it's a very it's very difficult. To to actually sort of buck that trend of the sort of the shoulda woulda couldas, you know, of sort of you know, there's certain markers by which we grade ourselves, uh, of mm-hmm. sort of I've made it to this point and I'm where I'm meant to be, whatever that meant to be means and where it comes from. And then the the other thing also that I want to to mention there is that to to have a job that is exciting. With global travel, and as you say, you're 20 and you've got a house. I mean, there's not very many people that have managed to do that at that point. You know, it takes an awful lot of courage to say, I'm not happy and so I'm going to make those changes. So, you know, I mean, I haven't been to Machu Picchu. (laughs) I'd like to. But I can't imagine at that age having that kind of courage. So where did that come from?
1: Yeah, and I don't even know if it was courage as opposed to just... You know, Elizabeth Gilbert writes about this. Um, it's been a while since I read that article, but it's about not this, I think, is the right. the article she wrote. Yeah. And it's like she talks about it in relation to her marriage. Yeah. She just knew she was not happy. She didn't have a plan B. Right. She didn't know where she was going to. She didn't know what lay ahead. But all she knew was this is not okay for me. Yes. And, you know, it's taking that step forward and not having a clue what's in front of you. And I think for me, that was the case as well. It's like, I don't know what's out there, but if I don't step off the cliff, I'm never going to find out. And it was like... You know, is it Anaïs Nin says when the pain of, you know, staying shut up as a bud becomes so bad you can only bloom, you know?
0: Oh, look, 100%. (laughs) I have a giant peony tattoo on my shoulder here, which is sort of a second blossoming, you know, sort of a post-divorce moment. But, uh, you know, I totally get that. And, And I mean, it's... Okay let's let's go back to the word courage for a second there because that's coming from the French cour, which is heart like kind mm-hmm. of is it is it connecting to your heart i mean it, we all have a a lot of us know when things aren't right is a sort of a, a a gut feeling something's not right but not everybody acts upon it
1: what yeah. made you I don't know. Maybe some of us are a little bit more heart driven, or yes, yeah, you know. Yeah. But for me, it's never been about what society says is right on paper. Like right. that's never ticked my boxes. Yeah, doing things by the system, doing things the way we're meant to do them. Right. It's like in a particular order. I just I'm so <laughs> the fish that, that that swims against that. Yeah, because it. it's so destroying. I think it's so destroying. You know. Well, I think rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> so you're right here but with me. Yeah. If we actually. Sit down and dismantle the white middle class patriarchal system <laughs> that we're yeah. all living in. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. nuts. You know, the rules yeah. were given, and particularly in Catholic Ireland, you know. Right you know, yeah, I think I discovered very early on, like as a non-heterosexual person, okay, what's wrong with me? Or like, I'm not fitting in with all of these boxes. So, you know... um, Right, I mean, we're raised in a heteronormative society.
0: So, you know, we know it's heteronormative because there are certain places that are designated uh, uh, that are are, are same-sex friendly or safe spaces and, and they're denoted by a rainbow flag. If we didn't have a heteronormative society, we wouldn't have the need for that. Everyone would just be okay everywhere so yeah. we can we can see very easily that sort of and, and again the idea of sort of the norm and the word normal and sort of the the, the values that came out even through the same-sex referendum with <clears throat> you know this is not normal. Uh, and this sort of an incredible pushback um, from from every generation, which was the most exciting thing about it really, was it wasn't just younger people saying, no, we're not going to put up with this kind of diatribe and this moralistic gunch and gumph anymore, like kind of, you know, that we, we all, you know, we are all in this together. And I, th- I think that that gave me incredible hope at that particular time in Ireland, because I'd seen, I've been in Ireland 20 years from the UK, and I, I'd seen Ireland as very monocultural and very mm. uh, vanilla, I th- suppose, yeah. compared to. Other places, so so growing up in that and sort of debunking that and going, okay, I am different, and that different is good because it's mine, you know, and and, and having owning to that break difference. rules
1: every five minutes right. because I don't fit into this set of rules. So you know, am I I'm just going to sit in my hands <laughs> for the rest of my life, or am I going to get out <laughs> yeah. there and live? And so yeah. you know, I learned early on to question things and question. Yes. and I'm the youngest of five, I have four older brothers, and you know, grew up in a very Catholic patriarchal family um, as normal you know so and everything
0: around you being the same as that
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, I think we learn, I think anyone who doesn't fit into the norm very early on, we have to learn critical thinking to survive, you know. So, you know, back to your question, when I was 28 and sitting on top of Machu Picchu, (laughs) how did I jump? It was just, it was a soul longing. I was miserable. Yes. I was absolutely miserable. And I thought there has to be a better way. There has to be a different way. Um and i jumped and you know it it was a while sort of finding my feet but oh my god it's so worth it like i am so fulfilled in what I do in the world, you know, yeah. in terms of well, it work. it shines or, out of
0: you; it, it really does. You know, you're uh-huh. effervescent um, with it, and I, I think I see that in, in in entrepreneurs who have found their. And I don't want to say passion because I don't. I'm not a big fan of people making their passion their business. Because, say, for example, you're good at knitting and you suddenly make that your entrepreneurial endeavor, then you're going to hate knitting after a while because orders are going to come in and you know you're going to be exhausted by it. But I think it's connect, going back to connecting to that that word ikigai. You know, your your sole purpose what is it that gets you what what is it that makes you light up you know and and so so take us before we get into that take us to the gap then between 28 and now what did you do straight after that sort of not this
1: yeah it's funny i am um... So sometime in my mid-twenties, I went back to college, I did an evening course in anatomy and physiology, and it happened to come with Swedish massage. Um, (laughs) Lovely. And it's like, I love, I love everything to do with anatomy and physiology and the body and the mind. And it was really just, I remember saying to myself, you're going to have a midlife crisis if you don't follow your passion. So I went and I did this evening course while I was working in financial software, Um So it was actually so liberating to go from like wearing suits and being in this sort of corporate environment to wearing a T-shirt and, you know, putting on some nice chill out music and massaging people. Um, while I was doing a masters, I did a ma- masters in drama therapy. Um, You're very busy. <laughs> yeah, I was doing this masters, and I was, you know, the the massage just it kind of fell into my lap. I wasn't. Yeah. It was a it was a passion. It was a hobby. It was something I really liked to do. I love connection. Yeah, I love people. I yeah. love intimacy, and that came together beautifully. Um, but I found like it's kind of like a hairdresser, I guess, as you're massaging people, just they would share so much with you, yeah. you know? Um, there was, there was somebody who'd been in a really terrible accident and her husband had died and her friend also lost a husband in the same accident. And I, I remember massaging them and they didn't, re- one of them spoke a lot and one of them didn't speak at all. But I remember after a year of seeing her every week, she said, that was my anchor, you know, those yes. those weekly sessions saved my life. Thank you. And I remember, you know, just feeling just the sense of purpose and that, like this is, yeah. you know, that's just so real. Um, but I finished the Master's in Drama Therapy and I loved it. I loved the marriage of psychology with creativity. Um, But I felt so underqualified. You know, people would contact me and say, my kid is selective mutism. Could you work with that? Or I was sexually assaulted. Could you support me? Or my marriage is in danger. Could you help? And I had done such a a generalist course. I remember thinking, I'm not skilled enough. I don't have the tools to be able to step into this, you know. So a few kids came along and marriage and all of that. And, um, you know, I kind of, yeah, I was doing a lot of freelancing for a few years for people I had worked with, former colleagues. And then I decided, no, I really want to go back to therapeutic work. Yes. But I don't want to be just winging it. If I'm going to work with people's, you know, open hearts, I really want to know what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Well, do you have to be very careful when people are so vulnerable? You know, absolutely. that you're guiding them in the right way.
1: And yeah. so many of our psychotherapy trainings are so general. Yeah. You know, some are great. I'm not saying they're all like that. Some are absolutely great and do really good work with their students over a four-year period. But there's other pop-up masters or yeah. degrees that are really not adequate. They're not adequately training psychotherapists. So I decided, okay, if I am going to work therapeutically, I need another string to my bow so I went and I did the masters in bereavement studies with the Irish hospice foundation now now let's uh, (laughs) let's hang on just a second so that's not a traditional psychotherapy
0: course so you know in in, in terms of someone that sort of you know it's not just people that are bereaved that are coming to you It's, it's a whole sort of plethora of people that are coming to you what was it that steered you towards bereavements
1: it was, I think it was like anyone, you know, that story of Chiron, the wounded healer. We often are, we often are drawn to areas that we want to understand better for ourselves, yes. as well as other people. And I'd had a lot of loss in my life um, from deaths, but also ambiguous loss. You know, so ambiguous loss is there's usually not a coffin. Right. There's usually not a hearse. There's maybe even not a death, but something is missing. Because it's never been there. Okay. Or something has been less than adequate. Or, you know, it's where you're experiencing that sense of loss, but you know, nobody else can see it in a way. And it could be um, you know, actually a lot of people I see in their twenties are coming because of childhood stuff and they they don't identify it as grief because no one has died. But right. my mother was never available. She was an alcoholic, for example. Right, right. right. Or um or my parents separated and I didn't see my father after the age of three. All of these ambiguous losses, nobody has died. But there's a massive hole in your life yeah. that you're grieving or yearning for. Um, so I think in my case, now looking back, I definitely had those big holes. Yeah. And I was trying to understand them. Um and I also knew I was going to be separating imminently. And okay. so for my own, you know. I was like, gosh, we're going to face into a big loss as a family yes, here. Yeah. And this could be another way of um, getting some tools in the toolbox for you're me. incredibly for proactive.
0: Family. I mean, you're almost, you know, you're preempting how you may feel and you're doing something, you're getting the toolbox and the skills that you need for, for down the road, coming down yeah, the road. I mean, yeah. that's a, it's, it's a very interesting way of looking at it because I, I see a lot of people who would be retrospective in terms of that, but very few proactive in terms of their toolkit. Of yeah. survival to a kid. as it's I was fascinating. Like, oh, this is
1: going to be, there's going to be a bomb going off in our future. Yeah. And I want to, I want to understand this inside out. Was there um, also a
0: sense of wanting to help everyone else experience how they experienced that change?
1: Certainly, my children, yeah, yeah, I have four kids and, um, I wanted to just equip myself as best I could, yeah. you know, for, for the massive loss it was going to be for them. Yeah. You know, it was a bit of a, an Elizabeth Gilbert moment for me of, you know, I'm not sure what's the other side of the cliff, but I just know I don't want to stand at this, yes. this place anymore. Um, but oh my God, the guilt that comes with that when yeah. you know how much it's going to um, impact your family but yeah. there there's no way i'd like if you you can't breathe you can't stay there even right. though it's going to cause tremendous pain but i remember the thing that really did it for me was imagining my own kids in yeah. a really um not, not that I was in a bad relationship, I wasn't, it just wasn't right for me. But imagining my kids in a relationship that's not right for them, right. I do not want to model stay under right. any circumstances. Right, right, right. I want to model to them, listen to your truth and yeah. take action, you know. So that's sort of how I resolved it in myself.
0: And, was a, and, and at that particular time, you know, studying, was that a sort of... Was it a was it somewhere that you could go in order to not be in that previous headspace? You know, oh, I'm studying now, so you put yourself and you focus into something else. Did that help as well? Because you're I, sort of proactively moving things along. Then
1: I think it was a it was a grabbing back of myself you know and I suppose and this is all quite personal but for women entrepreneurs listening so many women will identify with this you know suddenly I was a housewife right I was working from a (laughs) desk while breastfeeding with the washing machine going on beside me yeah um and, you know, I had just lost myself. I remember just thinking, is this it? Yeah, know, know exactly
0: and, what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> and I, I, there was one moment in the kitchen where I had a baby on my back in a sling. I have twins, they're, they're about to turn 12. And they were small, one in a sling in the back. I had another one at the front, I was probably feeding him. I was trying to close the oven door with my foot <laughs> and my foot got stuck. <laughs> so I was standing there balancing two babies <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) both under the age of one my foot is stuck in the the door of the oven and my ex-husband came in, and he's telling me all about his day. <laughs> <laughs> not even seeing that my foots at a right yeah. angle. You're <laughs> like some like housewife <laughs> trying to cope with everything. Just while like, you're
0: pouring him a drink and listening to his poetry. It's a sad day. Yeah, man,
1: no. it's it's yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. And e- and even today, you know, we still we're faced with so many situations like that. But for me, anyway, I couldn't. I yeah. could not surf that wave. It was like I'm out of here. I'm You know, there has to be something more. So... So, yes, going back and doing the Masters was part of me just claiming myself again. Yeah. You know, having getting a little out of the bit house, of time just for you. Yeah, using my brain again. Yeah, You know, you lose confidence when you have children yes. and you just become a milk machine or a knit remover or, you know, yeah. all the things that we changed. do as mothers. You know, and your
0: mind is, 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 is wired slightly differently. You now become yeah. this sort of mother, you know, this lioness, you know. Uh, and uh, so we're going to take a little break. And after the break, then I want to hear about the way that you transformed moving forward sure great your community radio for South Dublin this is Dublin South FM
1: Capital Credit Union is open on lending we are here to support our members for all their borrowing needs whether you need a car loan, a home
0: improvement loan, an education loan or even a mortgage and with loans of up to 100000 available, Capital Credit Union can also offer you great interest rates and benefits. To start your application today, call us on 01299 0400 or visit our website www.capitalcu.ie and submit an application. Warning, if you do not meet the repayments on your loan, your account will go into arrears. This may affect your credit rating. If you do not meet the repayments on your loan, you may lose your home. Loans are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. Capital Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Broadcasting from the Dundrum Town Centre, this is Dublin South FM. Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with Dr. Lolly Mansi. Welcome back to all my listeners. You're listening to an entrepreneur like you with me, Dr. Lally. And my lovely, lovely guest, Liz Gleason. So Liz, I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of the how did I get here and who am I now feeling. And so many women would experience that of sort of this recalibration of, as you say, milk machine and nitpicker. And, you know, you're spinning a thousand plates. You're As you're, your children start to grow, you become the sandwich generation then between children and older parents. And there is, I see it over and over again with people coming to the Innovation Academy, this loss of identity, but also they haven't any idea really where they could go or how they might proceed to reclaim themselves. So what is it that, what steps did you take? You're doing a master's in bereavement counselling. Your separation occurs. Then what happens?
1: Yeah, so I, I I took a gap year. I went back and did my second <laughs> I love year. A gap year. <laughs> I, I took a gap year to separate and go through that, and then I went back and I did year two of the masters. By the time I'd finished my masters, I had a full clinical practice. Amazing. So um, it was back to you know seven years previously. I'd qualified as a therapist, a yeah. creative arts therapist, but like I said, I did not feel qualified enough. Putting the two-year master's in bereavement studies really gave me the confidence then to work with people. And I think mostly the... Someone asked me recently, when did you know, when did you stop doubting yourself? Mm. And it was when people started saying, I've been to three other therapists. Right. Now I found my therapist, you know, and people would come and they would stay. Yes. And people would come, they'd do their work and they'd go, thank you, I feel yeah. better, I feel, yeah. you know, I, I feel grounded, that's that's done something for me. Um. So that's when I knew, okay, I'm in a good spot here, I, I get this, you know, yes. I, I understand this experience. And the grief, you know, my own background is a huge amount to do with that, but also the education, yeah. you know, the, the bereavement studies. So... I was working, as I said, you know, uh, as a grief therapist and, you know, quite a small practice. And I decided to do the Innovation Academy because I felt this is too small. You right. know, I'm starting from scratch every time someone walks in the door Right. and they go, oh, my God, I've just had an explosion in my life. Yes. My husband has died. My child has died. I've separated. I've just had my third miscarriage. Whatever it is, yeah. people were coming and going. There's something wrong with me. And I thought, this is crazy that yeah. everyone thinks that what they're experiencing is not normal. Right. Because it's not fitting into the happy, heteronormative, <laughs> patriarchal, lovely, shiny society that we're all signing up to. Yeah. Um, so I thought I really need to do something differently here. Um, went to UCD, that was really pivotal. Um I developed Shapes of Grief the brand over those 4 months in so you the did innovation the academy postgrad
0: cert in creativity innovation and entrepreneurship. Yes. Yeah.
1: No. Um in a uh, Innovation, entrepreneurship, and enterprise. An enterprise, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, that was, that's a, that's a springboard funded course over six months, is it?
1: It. I think it was just four months, Before two mornings time. a week.
0: Okay, so yeah. it's doable with your practice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I have four kids, I'm single. Yeah. <laughs> I was running a practice and I was on the 84 bus every Thursday and Friday yeah. or driving in and out to UCD. But I really used the time well. Like I would yeah. sit there in class and when we weren't running around or pole dancing or doing all the. <laughs> Mad stuff we end up doing in the Innovation Academy. Um, I was just sitting there writing, writing, writing. I never writing. Got the for
0: pole dancing.
1: <laughs> it was some fundraising thing, and we had someone from Pole Dance Ireland in our group. So, and um, we did, we got up to lots of things. Um, but anyway, I, by the end of the four months, I'd started a podcast, Shapes Amazing. of Grief. Um, Where I'd, did the name come from? I came up with the name because it's like what I was saying earlier, Lolly, people think grief is just death. It's not. It's, you know, we can experience grief losing a breast from a mastectomy, grief from a future we didn't have, a marriage that didn't work out, a parent that let us down. There are so many shapes of grief.
0: I love it. And
1: I really, you know, it hasn't really worked.
0: Did you have a eureka moment when you thought of it? Did you go, that's it?
1: I think, you know, if I was to look back in my my journals from the Innovation Academy, there's probably a hundred different versions of it that I would be writing out of the back. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I must actually look back over them and see where it came from. But, um, well, it comes all shapes and sizes. I mean, it's just, it does what it says. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's a, perfect. The, the logo is a heart that's askew. Like, it's not oh, a straight heart. Love that. It's too. askew, you yeah. know. Um, again, going back to courage. <laughs> and I won the logo. Like, one of Jerry, one of my colleagues in the Innovation Academy, was one of these moneymaker mornings. Yeah. Um, and he gave up, you know, a logo design as a prize. Brilliant. And I remember thinking, I'm going to win that. And I bought 10 tickets and sure enough, I won it and it's still the logo I use. So by the end of the four months, I'd set up the podcast. Yeah. I don't really know where it came from because I'd never even listened to a podcast right. before. But I just thought stories need to be told. Yes. I Stories need to be told. Yeah. This is a way to do it. And... I remember just putting on my personal Facebook, "Hey, does anyone have a grief story?" and and like I was flooded. Who doesn't? People want yeah. need to tell their story, you know, particularly the ambiguous loss or the disenfranchised loss. Yeah, you know, um, the losses that are not so obvious that we live with every day. Um, so I, 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 you know, it's cathartic. I mean, I, I, I had some very
0: strange experience where I so. So my my uh, marriage ended in July 17, and November of that year, a colleague said to me, um, "You should uh, you should tell the story of what happened." I'm like, no one likes to air their dirty laundry. Like, kind of, you know, it was a cataclysmic, horrible end on my husband's affair and like kind of no one wants to no one wants to share that story no, no one probably wants to listen or watch me cry <laughs> and uh and they were like no you should tell the story and I, I just one thing led to another i found myself on stage at the sugar club at the story slam telling the story Of because i turned it into a dark comedy by that point you know because there was always funny moments in in in, in those mm. you know in, the, in that darkness and what i realized was was it was a kind of an exorcism you know of getting that story out there but more importantly um at the end people came up to me and said oh, that's happened to me too. Complete strangers connected with me. And I suddenly realized, okay, this is just a, this is a transitional moment of change. And and not that it, you know, it didn't hurt incredibly, but it it was, it it kind of gave me some context to it, that we all have a story and we all have pain points and we can't escape them. And it's kind of what you do with it. So I completely understand why talking about your experiences um, can help other people identify to it, but also to realize you're not alone, which is the most, important.
1: I think this is key in sort of recovery or integration is depersonalizing it like this is not just Lolly that this divorce or affairs or sordid endings happen to this is part of humanity you know Um, and in fact it's a cliche (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know and I've had a a, you know a, a minor broken heart recently and actually the solace for me was This is the story that has been told since, you know, people loved each other. This is not just me and my pitiful life. This is classic to the book. Well, it's the reason (laughs) that Valentine's this year has been uh, the most
0: caustic Valentine's I've ever seen. I've seen such anti-Valentine stuff that's been (laughs) coming up where people are going, yeah, we're going to call it, you know, Galentine's or Palentine's now. We're not just having Valentine's, you know, because we're, you know, or the self-love Valentine's that I've never seen that before. And that's come out this year of just, you know, let's just say it's a day of love. You know, yeah, I mean I
1: bought a ticket to Portugal last Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> and I went on Friday and I was just like, screw this, I'm not gonna sit around on my own love for it. Valentine's Day. Love and it. I took myself off on an amazing four days date and I swam in the Mediterranean. How fantastic. I went out for amazing meals. Very I went hiking. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: absolutely love it. It's you know, it's it's big magic. It's get out there and just do this for yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. But it's
1: it's depersonalizing the experience, you yeah. know, and remembering this isn't just my tragic life. This has happened yeah. since time it's part memorial, of the tapestry of you know? it. Yeah. yeah. And I think it does. It's like it's like helps us to lean back into you know humanity, but that's what the podcast does. Then, yeah. You know when you listen to three, four, five episodes, and you're hearing the same thread and every one. Yes. You go, okay, this isn't just me. I'm not, it's not just that I'm getting this wrong or I'm not broken. This is a thing that happens humans when they love and then they lose. You know, and it can be incredibly empowering for people. You
0: people know? can get very stuck, and myself included in that. Like, kind of can get very stuck on the idea of sort of self-preservation. I think, and like a avoid- Avoiding going into situations or relationships or experiences because they don't want to get hurt. How do you deal with that in your beautiful, wise way?
1: Personally, oh, well, no, I mean, any you don't have to say personally, <laughs> but in any other way, professionally, yeah, it's, yeah. Re- it's really, it's really safe to sit on the edge. Yeah, it's really safe not to take risks. Being in relationship is terrifying. Yeah, you know, it's like every part of you that you you manage to hide and avoid and not let anyone see comes it's up exposed. for beautiful exposure in relationship. Yeah. And have you got, you know, have you got the courage back to this work? Yeah. Courage to go, yeah, this is me. I'm imperfect. I get angry sometimes or yeah. I have crippling anxiety or whatever it is. And I think, you know, the more we can show up like that, the easier it becomes. But it, it's definitely comfortable at the sidelines. It's much more comfortable to sit at the edge and yearn. Yeah. You know, yearn for this dream that might come along someday rather than jumping in and going, you dinner now. Come on, let's give this a go.
0: (laughs) I can only imagine what your dating profile is. It's absolutely (laughs) fabulous. Like, you dinner now, me, let's go. Like, uh, I I mean, this here's the other thing. I've had this said to me a few times because I'm a storyteller and an anthropologist. People would say, you know, oh, you're, you know, if I, if I was to go on a date with you, you know, I might end up as a story. <laughs> Have you had that said to you too? Are people worried they're going to end up as a, an anecdote on a
1: podcast? Sounds like I date loads <laughs> and I totally don't. Um, no, no, I yeah. wouldn't do that. No, yeah. it's it's funny because I do like to keep my work really, really separate, Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, no, I would, it, that, it just wouldn't happen. And actually, everyone who's been on my podcast, none of them are clients. Yes. I've never interviewed a client um, for the podcast. It's always people who've come to me or, you know, maybe we're chatting and I might say, oh, would you be interested? Like maybe you do your breakup story, Lolly, that would be good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's something I... I, I hate to
0: say it, but I think it's on Spotify already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something I like to really keep very yeah. protective over, you know, anyone who's yeah. sharing that um but yeah just to say like the podcast uh went from I remember saying to my kids oh wow look 10 people have listened to 100 to a 1, thousand you know it's really grown which is amazing and during the pandemic it was just so great to get emails from people saying this is really keeping helping me going me, yeah this is really helping me and emails from a global audience which is lovely Fantastic. as well not just Ireland but one of the things that people were saying all the time was it's really educational yeah. really learning yeah. it's not just listening to someone's story but you know I suppose I was taking my bereavement studies right and applying them when people were talking I was saying oh yeah well we call that continuous bonds or that's yeah. a thing that's disenfranchised grief or you know so people were listening and saying really learning both um healthcare providers and people who are grieving so I decided okay why don't I explicitly create an education program yeah because not everyone has ten grand in two years to do a master's. Right. So, um, I initially it was going to be just you know putting up a few lectures on my website that people could download, and um, you know disseminate the information that way. And then as I was doing a, a lecture on theories and models of grief and talking about Dr. George Banana and Dr. Dennis Class and. Gosh, you know these guys are all in the world, you know, and I found myself just emailing, going, "Hey, I'm doing this thing, and could I talk to you for it?" And before I knew it, (laughs) why not? You know, yeah, yeah, like what's the worst that could happen? Is they they go, "No, sorry." Exactly right. And, you know, one of the people I... And so, first of all, I got all the grief theorists. Amazing. They're were they all human like us. This is the thing. Everybody's just a human. Are you reaching out to them on LinkedIn
0: or how do you contact them? I just, I Googled them and I got their email.
1: I sent them an email. Hey, my name's Liz. And, you know, is this something you'd contribute to? And they're delighted. We've all got egos. We we all love being asked to contribute our wisdom. So, suddenly there I am doing my lecture on theories and models of grief with all the grief theorists then um, in interview Life. afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember yeah, Dr. Irvin Yalom. So he's a really well-known psychotherapist. He's like the god yeah. of psychotherapy known around the world. He's 92 now and his wife died last year. And Tim and Marilyn, his wife, wrote a book together yeah. about her illness right. and how they were processing it, then her death. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder what... Irvin Yalom speak to me, you know, and he's somebody I came across 20, 25 years ago and yeah. inhaled his books and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I wrote to him and he said, yeah, sure. Incredible. But the amount of people who've said, oh my God, you got Irvin Yalom. How did you do that? It was like, I asked him, <laughs> you know, yeah. I asked him
0: yes yeah. it's this idea of approachability but also you're 100 110 authentic you know you just are uh, you and you're like how about two humans have a conversation you know without all the bells and whistles and the yeah. agents and everything else and that I think is what resonates so much for people you have recently received the social impact award tell us yeah. about what that means
1: that was great um so social entrepreneurs Ireland yeah um yeah, somebody told me about it. I, I put in an application and got through, you know, a couple of rounds. So every year, I think it's five people or five different companies or enterprises um, win the Impact Award. Um, So basically, it's if you have uh, an enterprise that has society at its heart, it's going to improve some part of society, you can apply. Um, I think they're opening up for applications soon, actually. And it's a brilliant nine-month course. I suppose similar to the... the UCD Enterprise Academy, except it's much more targeted. Yeah. So I have mentoring every second week, incredible. funding, um, yeah. I think it's 20,000 euro worth of funding, and then 20,000 euro worth of mentoring. That's um, incredible. So POR workshops. So that's been amazing. But I for me, the most amazing thing was just having people outside me say, what you're doing is really vital. What you're doing is amazing. I needed to hear that because... I'm a mum, I've four kids. I'm serving my clients like I show up for everyone. Yeah, and then just have someone else go. You know, this is really worthwhile. We all need a little bit of external validation every oh, now and again. Of, yeah, of course we do. And the guys there, they've do. been amazing. Like there's a whole team there. Um, but it, but. It, they really show you your limiting beliefs as well. Because right. I was like, I really could use some help, some support, but I don't have the money to employ someone. They're like, why don't you get a volunteer? Like, Who would want a volunteer for free? Come on, let's try it. They helped me write a job description. I now have four volunteers working with uh, Shapes of Grief on social media, behind the scenes on the website. I'd never have done that without them, you know. Um, the funding then has been great I've put it 100% back into Shapes of Grief Um, you know I've developed an animation that's going to be launched at the end of March incredible and uh, there's a big launch happening in the Whale Theatre at the end of March as well Broadcasting from the Dundrum Town Centre this is Dublin South FM Are you part of a
0: local community group or representative organisation active in the Dunleary-Rathdown area? Why not join a network of over 400 such groups in the Dunleary Laoghaire Rathdown Public Participation Network? You can join the group, influence local policy, get regular updates about funding and other opportunities, connect with other groups like yours, publicise your group and even get free training and support. Make sure your voice is heard through DLR Public Participation Network as a registered group in the county. Dun Laoghaire Rathdown Public Participation Network For full information, find us online at dlrppn.ie. That's dlrppn.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM.
1: Sponsored by the UCD Innovation Academy. You're listening to An Entrepreneur Like You with
0: Dr. Lolly Mansi. So, Liz, one of the things I want to have a chat with you about is where our businesses intersect because we're two female entrepreneurs. In fact, I know we're two entrepreneurs. I do get very tired of saying female entrepreneurs. I think it's unnecessary, but, you know, it's clearly clearly obvious. We're two entrepreneurs sitting here having a chat. You have Shapes of Grief. I have the Irish Institute of Celebrants. I also have another company, My Way Funerals. And I think what I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to have a look at, as we become more secular in Ireland, um, what are the needs that aren't being met? And what I've found through... Celebrancy, which is people doing uh, funerals uh, for for people sort of outside of the church, so you would have the humanists, you would have the clergy, but now there's a, a section in the middle of sort of what we call civil celebrants, and, and my company would be training them. Um, What we're seeing is people wanting more personalization in funerals, but also a much more authentic led approach to that funeral. So that they would like, um, you know, you can call it life tribute or a a eulogy is more standard perhaps, but they would like that life truly reflected rather than a sort of a sanitized version. We've all been to funerals where you uh, don't recognize the person being talked about by the priest because they're like, hang on a minute, he was a fine, upstanding member of the community. And you're like, really, did you meet him? Because he was a wild man, you know, so uh, a whiskey drinking philanderer." perhaps you know so it's again it's coming down to that personalization that's coming through all aspects uh, of society but in death it's very interesting because one of the last areas i suppose to modernize we've had in this country um the funeral director came from an undertaker which was the person to undertake a task It was often a carpenter they became funeral directors and professionalised at the turn of the century very much male dominated very family you know family uh, companies and we're now sort of starting to see a bit of a shift in that as the funeral industry becomes more modern as they're dealing with less people wanting to go into the church more people wanting to have large funerals but more personalised and perhaps a celebrant to, to create those funerals I think we do do death very well in Ireland, but it's been said to me many, many times, we do death well, but we don't do grief well. What do you understand by that? And how are you making your own impact through Shapes of Grief with that?
1: Hmm. It's funny. Um, I was on News Talk two weeks ago with Kieran Cudahy, and he said the same thing, you mm. know. And it's true, we do. We have all these rituals and traditions, right. the wake, Um yeah. And actually, the, those tra- I could speak for hours on those traditions, actually, and where they've come from and the value of them and on our nervous system and everything. It's, yeah, the rituals it's are very important. But I think, you know, I suppose just to tell a story which will really encompass this um two years ago I was down in West Cork and I was having dinner outside and of course I ended up sitting with a widow, a widower, (laughs) Um, as you do, the grief therapist meets widower and it was this man who was there with a woman, I had assumed it was his wife and a young girl and um, we ended up just chatting and They were like, oh, what do you do? I was like, I'm a grief therapist. And he went quiet. He said, my wife died three years ago. This was his girlfriend who was with him. And the daughter was just silent throughout. Wide eyes, 13, 13. And um, she'd go off for a while and come back. And he said, oh, she won't talk about her mother. Okay. You know, it's, it's tension in the house anytime we talk about it. And anyway, we had a chat and he said it was all fine until after the funeral. Right. And then everybody was gone. Right. And he just described how lonely it was, you know. And I think that's what people don't realize. They think... That, you know, we have to get over the funeral. That was an event that happened in March 2020. Right. They don't understand that grief is a process, that yeah. year one, like when you've had a significant loss. Well, first of all, just to say in grief, everybody needs support from community, family, friends, yeah. information, normalization, acknowledgement of the loss. Everybody needs that. 60% of people, that's all they'll need. Right. They will adapt and accommodate and integrate their grief over time. And then about 40% of people won't, they'll Mm. need extra help from community groups or counselling or therapists or something. But back to this man, you know, he said that he was just left alone and that was the loneliest part. And I think that's true. We don't understand that grief is not an event that happened at that time. It hits us like for, for a year afterwards, more or less, I mean, there's no timeline to these these things. It's like we're just surviving. It yeah. is like, a. I say to people all the time, it's like someone takes a sledgehammer to your nervous system. And you're just, you know, in this really post
0: breakup. You're exactly describing what I went through post breakup. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it is literally like a bomb goes off inside you. You don't, like, you are consumed by it. There's no respite. Yeah, I was the same post breakup as well. Mm. Even though I wanted it, I still went through all of that. it's shocking. You're in shock. You're, yeah. I would go as far as to say trauma in some cases. Yes, I agree. You know, um, certainly when there's a third party, there was in my case as well, who came in at the very last minute. It causes such shock. We're just surviving year one. We're getting through the first birthday, the first anniversary, right. this time last month, this time six months ago.
0: The first of everything's the and worst. And then you
1: get through all of that and you go, ah, and then it's like, oh man, I have to do that again. I have to do all that again. And there is a settling of the nervous system, I think, that happens. But then what happens is the grief comes up. The permanence of this is my life again now. I haven't just got over that and now I've bounced back and I'm fine. You never go back.
0: You're forever changed. You're
1: forever changed. You never go back. And, you know, these are all the secondary losses we talk about. There's the primary loss, which is the death of someone you love or the end of a relationship. But it's the loss of who you were beforehand. Yes. The, you know, who you were in society? It's not easy being a separated woman in yeah. Irish society. You're looked on as if you're broken. Yeah. We use that language: a broken home, a broken we family. Do, yeah, yeah. Um, you are treated differently. Yes. Suddenly, yeah. all your friends are other single women. You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. You know. You don't see the same couples you used to like. It's a profound, profoundly yeah. life-altering experience. Yes. Yeah. Whether someone dies or or through breakup, so. Yeah, it it, it, is, it is hugely impactful in our lives. And I think people really don't understand that. Nobody, like, did anyone give you a card when you divorced? When you separated? No. Did anyone make you dinner? No. Did anyone come and in say... In fact, I
0: disappeared and I, I moved house and I was on my own. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: so lonely yeah and it's so scary and it's like for some of us it's an existential crisis it's yeah. like where's my purpose what does life mean who am I now everyone is a
0: couple except you
1: <laughs> and that's this, how it feels and again this is why it's so important to depersonalize these yes. things you know yeah. but yeah. you know we don't do grief well like you know people some of the things people say are you still whinging Now that was from someone whose daughter had died six months previously. Someone said to her, are you still whinging about that? Or even the more palatable things like, oh, you're so strong. You're amazing. Yeah. It's like, Please stop. Yeah. Because that is creating such a chasm between you and the person who is grieving. Because inside, yeah. a sledgehammer has been taken to their nervous system. Yeah. They have pulled everything together to get to you today, to sit in front of you and have coffee. Yeah. Be quiet and listen. Stop telling them they look great yeah. so that you feel better. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. We're not great at sitting with our own strong emotions. Yes. Therefore, it's impossible to sit with someone else's strong emotions, you know, and that's what's yeah. needed. I think for my, my celebrants in training, when, they're, when
0: they're, their biggest concern is usually, when we talk about sort of, you know, the where is there a spike of anxiety for them in, in the service that they're offering, which is to go to a family home and to sit with somebody that's been bereaved probably in the last 24 hours. And it's always just before they ring the bell, the doorbell. And so, you know, we, we even do sort of a mantra of sort of, you know, how to deep breathe deeply inside of your car, which seems like sort of, you know, perhaps so obvious, but, you know, how do you prepare yourself for what is on the other side of the door? And it's sort of, you know, I say to them even, you know, go outside of your own house and imagine that, you know, that you're ringing the doorbell and on the other side, you then have to, you have to rehearse the first words you're going to say, which is, hello, this is my name and I'm in a funeral celebrant. I've been sent by the name of The Undertaker and I'm here to do the job that you do. And we actually rehearse that. Even our Zooms or face-to-face when we're, we're training face to face mm. and I think that's really important because it is the unknown of what you're walking into but also that grief manifests itself in such a myriad of different ways that you don't know if you're walking into relief anger or a combination of all of this or you know uh, um you know um, emphatic crying or sort of perhaps uh, somebody who can't speak at all you know and you have you're got to elicit yeah, exactly yeah. you've got to elicit in maybe an hour to an hour and a half their memories of somebody who's incredibly dear and close to them that they love but whilst they are still going, every single second that they're sitting with you, they've gone, they've gone, they've gone. So for you as a, as a therapist, you know, when people first come into you, is it a lot of just sitting and being or are you proactively trying to take them somewhere?
1: Yeah, great question. Actually, <laughs> um, The key for me with people I work with is co-regulation. Right. So, you know, when we go back to the sledgehammer on the nervous system, it's such a scary state to be in. And so for me, it's like, it's not about me. This yeah. is not my story. Right. I'm here to hold somebody else's experience, to provide a safe container for them. And I can use my body in incredible ways to do that. The prosody, the way I speak, the speed at which I use my words, Am I, my presence will either exacerbate someone's grief, yeah. if I'm all stressed up and going, I need to get it right, yeah. or my presence will ease their grief. So we want to make sure we're the latter. Yeah. You know, whether you're a funeral celebrant, a grief therapist, a right. nurse doctor friend, a calm, soothing Presence. It's not about saying the right thing. It's not about being clever, funny, or smart. It's not about fixing it. It can't be fixed, you know? You can't bring them back. It's about being a calm, soothing presence. Mm. So, how is my breathing? Am I regulated? Am I in my backbone or am I sort of stressed out leaning forward? Am I speaking a million miles an hour or am I sitting back and going, tell me about him? Yeah. How are you doing? You know? So all of these things are really important to take on board when you're with someone who's who's grieving. Are you um
0: in consultations via Zoom at the moment? Yeah. 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 And, and and how have you found that transition? Because I mean what you're talking about is 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 you're you're communicating through Sooth's very subtle mechanisms, which is body language and breath. And is that does that get lost via Zoom or How does it work with
1: technology? No, not at all, actually. And I really wondered about that. But again, if we think about it, if we're, and I often like, and and, grief is so different. And remember, again, most people will be fine in time. Fine's an awful word, sorry. (laughs) Most people will accommodate their grief over time. Yeah. But some don't. And it's when we have that real shock. You know, because someone's died prematurely or suddenly, or, um, you know, something is not right, perhaps, with who died or how they died. And, these, it's like a rabbit caught in the headlights, or it's like somebody with their their skin ripped off. Or yeah. I often think of lobsters you know, lobsters shed their shell, yeah, and then they have this period of time where they've no shell and they have to just hide under a rock. <laughs> yeah. and you and know, you know they, they 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 only I only
0: found that out this recently through a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Stephen McIver, who's a sports psychologist. He said, um, that actually there, there's they feel stress when they're they're skin shell is too tight and it's the response to the stress that causes the change and I'm like of course it is it makes so much it's sense it's
1: amazing like to look at the animal kingdom but they just go underground for a little while yeah. till they grow back their shell but bereaved people are often like that. Not yes, all breed people. We're looking that. at this. They're
0: the lobster without the shell. You know,
1: it's like being the lobster without the shell or the rabbit in the headlights. You yeah. see the dilated pupils. Yeah. We are mammals. And, you know, our loved ones regulate. We regulate each other. Like, yeah. you know, that's the beautiful thing about being in relationship, is feeling so at ease to right. someone beside you, you know, you're co-regulating. Um, and so so you're asking about Zoom. How do I regulate? How do I co-regulate with someone on Zoom? Well, yeah. they're in their home probably. They're yeah. feeling safe. They're not having to come out from under their rock. Yes. And yeah, travel yeah. out to Greystones and come into a strange cabin and meet a new person. Yes. So that can be a benefit for right. some people. Right. You know, that they, they get to stay where they're already feeling safe. Um, you can make eye contact on Zoom, yes. you can breathe on Zoom, you can say, let's just pause there, where do you feel it in your body? Now yes. I've had really profound sessions, genuinely via Zoom, Yeah, um, I've worked with people and I work with people in person and on Zoom and it can work, absolutely. There's something about intention. You're bringing your yeah. intention to a session, however that is, whether it's on the phone, On Zoom, in person, people know when you're present. They know when you're listening. They know when you're absorbing what they're saying to you. They know when you're available to absorb that and you're not stuck in your own story of, what do I do next? You know? Yeah. When you're really in service to someone, they feel that.
0: Yeah, completely. and, And it's
1: very regulating. And I would say that is the most important thing, whether you're a friend, a funeral celebrant, a therapist. Can you just sit and be and bear their pain? Yeah. That bear their pain without trying to fix it or make it better. Yeah. Put a hand on their back. I'm here. You're safe. This is okay. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's
0: unbelievable. And you talk about that word service and, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's a privilege to do somebody's funeral. And I, you know, some people may say to me, oh, it's a little morbid what you do, no? And I'm like, we have such a good laugh actually as funeral celebrants. And I, I, it's the same with anyone that's in the palliative world. It's because we know life is short and fleeting and can change and will change. And as a yeah. consequence, we need to just sort of, you know, to, to remind ourselves of, of the fact there is no permanence. That sounds very Buddhist, but it's, it's true. What do you do to, be able to bear that and to be in service for people? How do you switch off? Because obviously, I know that you know professionally you're boundaried but you know, I'm, I'm a great avid uh, uh, nature walker I'm, um, into the moment, a bit a bit of weightlifting, which I love. Uh, at the same time, also, the forest is my place as much as I possibly can. What's your secret to? to just sort of balancing yourself out
1: yeah well i I think it's attitude as well it's like i'm not there to fix anyone i am there to accompany it's like a sherpa you know Um, a soul sherpa i've never thought of that before but i love it soul sherpa that's nice um Yeah, it's like it is to be of service. I remember just once feeling wobbly about someone I was going to support. And it was a little girl and she was going to die. Um, She was six. And at the time I had two six-year-olds, so it was very close to home. Yeah, it's tough. And I remember thinking, oh God, you know, am I able for this, you know? But how I did it was just like, okay, there's so many people who would balk at this, who don't want to go near this family who've been told their child's about going to die imminently in the next few months. And, you know, can I be someone who doesn't run a mile? Can I be someone who steps in and listens and what's needed? And how can I support here? And it was just such beautiful work. It was yeah. heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. Of course. Um, but but I I didn't think about that. You know, so many people close to them were were grieving this imminent loss. This was not my loss. Was not my story. Yes. I was able to step in and just go wow, how amazing that I could actually be someone who doesn't crumble or doesn't cry or could be a pillar for them at this really hard time. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's, it's hanging up the ego and not being superwoman I'm in to save this family or right. it's hanging up the ego and just really committing yourself to be of service in whatever way that would be. And I remember... The mom saying to me Wednesday, she's always wanted a rabbit. I was like, no bother, Tuesday I'll have it, you know? And we had rabbits there <laughs> for like you are three days. Super days and, <laughs> you know, it was just like, you would do anything. Yes. I would do yeah. anything for you right now, you know, to help yes. you through this. And um I think, you know, nearly without exception, everyone who comes to me for grief therapy, they will mention the nurse or the celebrant or the doctor who was kind. Yeah. Actually, it's nothing to do with being clever or educated. It's kindness. It's a hand on the shoulder. It's compassion. You know, it's it's that's what touches people. That's what they you're hypersensitive, you're hyper-vigilant in that state. Yeah. You notice everything. So the wrong word, the wrong look yes. goes right in.
0: Yes, yeah, but
1: also yeah. the little drops of kindness also go right in. So it's back to that expression, are you going to be the one to ease this person's grief or exacerbate their grief? <laughs> um, it's absolutely you know.
0: remarkable. There's, you know, to, to, it's part of the joy of my life to meet entrepreneurs who have found their path. You know, And I love that Japanese word, ikigai, what gets you up, what gets you motoring along and where you can be of best service. And uh, there is no question to me that you, have, you are the embodiment of that sentiment. Oh, thank you. If the listeners would like to check out more, your podcast is available.
1: yep, shapesegreve for the training course and the podcast and the podcast, I think it's on pretty much every it's platform current and Spotify
0: and wherever you yeah. listen to your podcasts. Yeah. Our listeners have a fantastic afternoon and I'll see you next month.